the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program was pre-recorded, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. We don't need no education. We don't need no control. Welcome to Education Nation, where we tackle the biggest issues in American education. School is now in session. Here are your hosts, Headmaster Rebecca Hagstrom and co-host Mark Durkin. Well, good evening, and thank you for joining us here on Education Nation. I am Headmaster and host Rebecca Hagstrom, and it's a privilege to join you every Saturday evening here on AM 1280 The Patriot. I'm joined in studio once again by our producer of Education Nation and our co-host, Mark Durkin. Another good evening, Rebecca. The weeks just fly, don't they? They sure do. They <laughs> sure do. But we are happy to be in summer. Yes, we are. So last week, we resumed our discussion with Catherine Kirsten on the fallout taking place in the Edina Public Schools stemming from that district's 2013 adoption of an educational equity-based all-for-all plan. Specifically, we defined educational equity and revisited the all-for-all plan. And then what followed, or what followed its implementation, I should say, um, can't talk tonight, um, were declining test scores across the board in the district and the subsequent drop in the district's enrollment numbers. One of the key factors in contributing to this decline was the district's adoption of personalized learning models, which are really going nationwide. This is not just just an a public school issue, yes. And tonight we want to continue our examination of the personalized learning models that are currently uh, being discussed Mm -hmm. in the Edina Public Schools. And for parents that are outside of that district that they would understand and have a little bit of an education on Mm -hmm. what that model looks like. Mm -hmm. How have parents in the district responded to these models? How instrumental have parents been in their response to the all-for-all plan's goal of shaping students' beliefs? Well, join us again tonight in the continuing of the discussion, and to help answer these questions and more is Catherine Kirsten. Yes, and Catherine is a writer and an attorney, a senior policy fellow and founding director at the Center of the American Experiment, having also served as its chair from 1996 to 98. She's also served as a metro columnist for the Star Tribune from 2005 to 2008. And before that, was an opinion columnist for the paper for 17 years. She's researched and written extensively on the issues in the Edina Public School District, and she's been a guest multiple times on Education Nation. She's a name that is recognized by the AM 1280 The Patriot audience. Catherine, thank you again for joining us this evening. It's great to be with you. Yes. So as we continue our conversation from last week, um, the Edina Public Schools have chosen not to heed the warnings what would you say is the most, the warnings, I should say, of the personalized learning, what would you say is the most fundamental shortcoming of the Edina Public Schools personalized learning model and why? Well, uh, it goes back to our previous discussion that what motivates, what appears to motivate the administration there most is not helping every individual child to achieve to his or her highest 
academic potential with academic excellence for, for all, let's say. Uh, instead, it is seeing children through the lens of their skin color and looking first and foremost uh, at the performance of students in racial subgroups rather than looking at them as individual learners. And this is this is devastating mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to children's ability to use their talents uh, in in the best and most effective ways. Mm-hmm. And to develop into all that they're capable of doing. Um, Precisely. We're, mm-hmm, we're letting potential sit, sit on the table. You know, I find it so ironic that the language that they use, all for all, it sounds so positive and personalized learning. You know, who would be against personalized learning? Sure. It sounds excellent. Teacher-student <laughs> relationship, yes. right? Language yeah. matters. And it's so amazing how um, this kind of language is being used. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's difficult for parents to really understand what the problem is because it sounds so good on the outside. Um, it would never raise any flags to see in any type of a district newsletter that, oh, we're going to switch, be, be switching over to personalized learning. And, you know, it yeah, sounds absolutely. so great. Um, so I, I highly recommend for our listeners um, to take the time to research some of this themselves yes. and see the devastating effects that we are seeing actually nationwide with the personalized learning movement. Right. Right. You know, last week, too, we, we introduced our listeners to the RAND Corporation. They're a, a global think tank uh, that has done extensive research on personalized learning models across the country, across the globe. And they, in their, uh, their research, they had... Uh, fielded some common complaints that were coming from teachers. If you can share with us, Catherine, what some of those common complaints are, even in the best-supported personalized learning schools. Right. Well, one of the most common complaints from teachers is that in the real world, there isn't enough time uh, to truly tailor uh, the learning experience to each child, which Mm -hmm. is what personalized learning promises to do. I mean, can you imagine having 25 students and trying to tailor a a plan for each one of those Mm -hmm. students? And and of course, the idea of these heterogeneous classrooms in which personalized learning is supposed to take place, that is not the, what we used to call the detract classrooms, Mm -hmm. where kids tend to math, let's say, or reading to be grouped by readiness and ability. No, mm-hmm. the idea is to put kids who are literally two years behind mm-hmm. uh, grade-level proficiency and kids who are two or three levels beyond, put them in the same classroom, right. use the same curriculum, and teach each one of them to reach you know, his or her highest mm-hmm. potential. So that what they end up doing is to any diner is, according to their website, they generally have like maybe, say, 10 minutes of what they call direct instruction from the teacher that uh, the whole class shares in. And then kids break up into these flexible groups and they go off and do their own thing, mm. essentially. Uh, they might work in a pullout group with another teacher or they might go out in the hall with their friends and, mm-hmm. you know, do some some extra work if they're ahead. But it tends not to be accelerated instruction that they need. It tends to be just extra busy work that doesn't help them move more quickly through material that, you know, they find it easy to master. Mm-hmm. There's nothing beyond that of any real value. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and that whole notion of excelled learning is really impossible when you consider that these classrooms would include average students, special education students, and also high-achieving students all brought yeah. together in the same classroom. 
Yes, precisely. Yeah. Well, students with high achievement, they find themselves stuck in this personalized learning model. And what have been some of the specific complaints that uh, parents in the Edina Public Schools have voiced to the district and the school board about this? Well, uh, again, uh, they complain that uh, in these heterogeneous classrooms, all students have to study basically the same thing at essentially the same pace. And they say that they're there's students who are ahead, instead of getting accelerated instruction or getting this extra work, it's called going deeper or embedded honors, or often they're asked to help other classmates who are behind them rather than move ahead more quickly themselves. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, this, there's, there's no greater demotivator than to, to be bored uh, and to be asked to help others repeatedly instead of being able to learn uh, more and more quickly uh, on your own. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Catherine, with personalized learning holding back some of the advanced and even average students for the reasons you just mentioned, um, you write that the Edina Public School model unfortunately encourages other students to take demanding courses without regard to their academic preparation. So in other words, more students are taking the demanding courses. What are some of the district's goals with this approach? Right. Well, uh, this goes back to, to how the district defines educational equity. They say that uh, they will have equity only when there is no more than a 5% difference between minority and low-income students and other student groups in gifted programs, uh, advanced placement classes, etc. No more so than that means. What was that percentage no again? Five percent difference. Okay. okay. So that That's means huge. that um, that uh, they they want to get uh, in particular Black and Hispanic students into their advanced placement classes, and they're you know it, it's up to the kids as to whether they they want to do this, and mm-hmm. uh, it, it, if they are not prepared for it, it can be. Uh, damaging to them. It can undermine their Mm -hmm. self-confidence. It can set them back in terms of progress. It can make them, you know, bitter and give up and waste their time. Mm -hmm. And uh, it it is just not a prudent goal if your focus is on individual kids doing their best. Mm -hmm. And you take those numbers and you also combine them, and you've probably heard this too, Catherine, is that the um, current uh, governor and his administration has an ambitious goal of having a 90% graduation rate in a four-year term by the you know by 2020 and that would include an 85% graduation rate for each select student group so you take the numbers that you've just mentioned here and it really just sounds like uh, let's just cram and push them through as hard as we can regardless of what the curriculum or what the academic level of work may be yeah and and of course uh Edina uh, graduation rates for for all student groups are really very high, uh, but the question is how much do these kids actually know? Right. Uh, mm-hmm. that, that's not you mentioned earlier that when you look on the MDE, the Minnesota Department of Education website, for some of these schools, you see that some of these groups are are just appallingly uh, below proficiency, um, but they are nevertheless graduating at higher rates, and it's really an exploitation of these children. Yeah, and actually, if our listeners want to learn more about that, we covered that whole topic on a show a number of weeks ago, 
And we're not talking about below. There, some of them are performing at you know twenty percent, maybe twenty percent proficiency, thirty percent proficiency. Right. Yes, very low numbers, and yet the graduation rate is going up. It's very right. concerning. Yeah, that was our May eighteenth show, I believe. Is that the date? Yes. Okay, yeah, May eighteenth. That's a it's a really interesting topic, and, and it's and sad. People, and if people want to go to that report card, they can just go to their favorite search engine and type in Minnesota report card, and it will mm-hmm. come right up. It should be the first link that comes mm-hmm. up. Yeah, they can mm-hmm. look at it themselves. Mm-hmm. Well, you are listening to Education Nation on AM twelve eighty, The Patriot, and Catherine Kirsten is joining us again tonight to discuss the increasing academic achievement decline taking place in the Edina Public School District, and we're looking also at the personalized learning and the effects that that is having on the Edina Public Schools as well. Um, With the racial identity at the forefront of curriculum, parents were alarmed at the beginning of this school year to learn that the Edina Public School had a dramatic drop in their third grade reading proficiency. So kind of on this topic of proficiency scores, what parents within the district find especially disturbing and how did they find, or how did they, excuse me, respond to some of these new developments? Well, they were very concerned to see how, how great the drop had been in the, from the previous year and the year before that in terms of third grade reading proficiency. And Mark mentioned how critical that is because it's very clear that kids who can't read proficiently by the end of third grade are going to struggle on average very significantly in high school Mm -hmm. and and many will fail even to graduate. So these parents were very concerned that uh, the the Edina administration didn't, they seemed quite lackadaisical Mm -hmm. uh, when it came to uh, remedying uh, this this drop in third grade reading proficiency, and uh, it wasn't a, a quick mobilization to come up with an effective plan of action. Uh, but at the same time, the, the district was sponsoring and uh, trumpeting uh, a year-long uh, series of seminars for teachers and others called Reexamining Equity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the topics of course, of course. are going to be, and I'm quoting the names of some of these topics, mm-hmm. white privilege and white fragility, implicit bias and microaggressions, mm-hmm. equity traps, etc. And the people running this uh, included uh, people from the Department of Teaching and Learning. Teachers were going to get uh, continuing education credits for this, mm-hmm. but what about third grade reading? How about <laughs> teaching them? how to be more effective in teaching the new reading curriculum that had been adopted. Right, which interestingly, they even pointed to this new reading curriculum that as part of the reason why the test scores had dropped. They were saying, well, you know, anytime right. you implement a new reading curriculum that makes it more difficult and you end up with problems or you end up with, you know, teachers not knowing the curriculum as well. So they even admit really that that could potentially be the problem. And yet rather than addressing that directly by training their teachers better and taking Mm -hmm. that time, they're going to focus on these equity conferences as well or instead. Well, yes. And and the parents were really upset by the excuses that the administration gave one of the primary excuses for not training the teachers adequately, which they admitted they hadn't done, uh, was that there was a statewide shortage of substitute teachers. <laughs> you, know, you need substitute teachers if you're going to be pulling out the third grade uh, reading teachers. And, uh, you know, parents were saying, you've got to be kidding me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
that seems it seems pretty weak, doesn't it? Well, especially given the fact that they were going to be able to figure out a way to have all of these other courses, you know, reexamining equity and white privilege and white fragility, implicit bias. I wonder how they were going to fit that in. (laughs) Right. Good question. (laughs) Right. Well, you know, you mentioned parents really being up in arms, Catherine, and they've grown more aggressive in their demand for accountability and transparency from the district. And in an Mm -hmm. effort to safeguard against indoctrination, could you tell us about the parents' commitment to the Edina Public School Policy Number 606? What do they do if they witness a violation of this policy? And what challenges do parents at the middle and high school levels face while monitoring for violations? Right. So the um, Edina Public School Policy 606 is the one that requires that students hear all sides mm-hmm. on controversial issues in the classroom. And there have been many violations of this policy over the last few years. Uh, parents are, are actually coming together across political lines to, to begin to, to hold the district accountable for this. So they say that they are actively telling other parents that they need to watch for these violations in, in assignments, in hall displays, et cetera. And whenever parents see a violation, they need to speak to the teacher about it, and then they need to file an official policy violation form. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, parents are saying they should report it directly to the district administrators and copy school board members. It's very important to, mm-hmm. to loop the school board in on this. But uh, in, in my discussions with parents, I've been told that it can be really tough to know what's going on in the classroom, yes. to know that there's yes. policy violations. Mm-hmm. And, well, this is a huge change mm-hmm. from when my kids were in school. turns out that uh, parents, uh, especially of middle schoolers and high schoolers, often don't even really know what their kids' assignments are. They don't necessarily mm-hmm. see the papers or the tests or even the teacher's instructions. And the reason is that so much of this is done the internet is done yep. electronically through um, students' password-protected mm-hmm. school portal. Mm-hmm. So uh, parents are being advised to get your kids' passwords and monitor on a daily basis, or you may not even know what, mm-hmm. say, paper mm-hmm. they're being required to, to write. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about transparency. It, it becomes even more difficult. And that's, again, one of the complaints that's really being lobbed against the whole personalized right. learning technology approach is that... You really don't know what's happening, and that's yes. it's it's hard enough for parents to really know what's happening in their children's classrooms. You know, they're not there. Um, some kids don't like to talk a lot about what they did in school that day, uh, but right. then when it becomes even more buried through the internet screens and that type of thing, it's it does make it really difficult for the parents to hold the school district accountable for what their children are learning. They just don't know. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Catherine, you, you do mention, too, in your article that, that parents' efforts has improved school climate in the district this year, but the administration's allegiance to its social mission really still remains deeply entrenched. It's not going to yes. go down with a fight. You know, uh, well, briefly, cover some of the improvements, if you would, first, and then if you could share just some of the political advocacy resources that the sure. district is making available to families. Well, um, I think there's a pretty strong agreement among parents that, at, at least on the surface, uh, there is less overt political correctness. Uh, there are fewer, let's say, Black Lives Matter posters in the hallway or political cartoons uh, on teachers' doors and that kind of thing. And, and everybody 
acknowledges that that's that's progress. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the district administration continues in so many ways. And we've touched on many here to to put its social agenda over uh, an academic excellence agenda. Mm-hmm. So uh, when I went on the equity resources for family families uh, website under the, the equity office, I, I found these uh, recommended for families. Uh, one is a book that's called White Fragility, Why It's So Hard for White People to Talk About Racism. Hmm. And this book uh, it basically says that any kind of argument on the part of a white person who you know, is, is asked to agree to the, the racial um, identity politics agenda, any kind of, of response uh, basically comes from, quote, anger, fear, or guilt and prevents mm-hmm. Meaningful cross-racial dialogue. Well, you can't have a dialogue. That's right. what, what you're basically saying right. here. Right. Yeah. One that particularly shocked me was an essay by um, a former Minnesota Teacher of the Year, who is uh, is out there a lot on these kinds of issues. His essay is called "Everyone Keeps Talking About Implicit Racial Bias, But What Is It?" And as I read this, I could hardly believe it because uh, there was there, there were really, you know, obscene, profane words yeah. in this thing. Right. This middle school teacher, and uh, uh, okay, is this the one our, our kids have been reading? Right. And then there's, there's an interesting essay from the United Church of Christ's new sacred website, and that's called, So You Say You've Got White Privilege, Now What? And this, I think, really reveals um, the, the unspoken assumption uh, here, because it tells white readers that you must recognize that, quote, you are still racist no matter what. In other words, there's nothing white people can do in order to avoid being racist. So this, these are not particularly helpful or, or scholarly resources that Edina families should be right. pointed toward. Yeah. I can understand why parents' commitment to policy 606 would be uh, uh, in violation right. all the time. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Catherine, do you know if that policy is in other districts across the state, a similar type of policy? I would expect so. I mean, it's the most common sense thing. Yeah, it is. You'd think you wouldn't even need to have a policy, but... (laughs) Yeah, in the the publicly supported schools of a democracy, Mm -hmm. uh, this uh, should go without saying, but I, I I would suspect that it is put in writing uh, in most districts, but you know, it's only uh, good if it's enforced. Mm-hmm. And clearly, when the administration is on the other side, it's not likely to be enforced. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I think about you know Candace Owens, who is now speaking out. She was just here in the Twin Cities a few weeks ago, and imagine if uh, you know something she had written was being promoted. <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness! Exactly. Can you imagine the outcry? <laughs> Great example, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, Catherine, your article that uh, you had written—it was uh, in the spring edition of Thinking Minnesota magazine. You concluded your mm-hmm. article with um, the Edina Public School District's administrators currently attempting to address some aspects of the district's declining performance. And we have about five minutes, a little less, about four minutes here. Let's take some time finishing up here, just talking about how uh, these Edina administrators are attempting to address declining academic performance. Well, one good thing that they have done is in the five-year strategic plan that uh, should be adopted this summer for the school district going forward, 
uh, they 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 had a number of focus groups. They had a, a major survey of um, parents and residents in the district, and they asked some some good fair questions. And I think they even sought out parents who had had particular concerns. And in this report, they quote from these parents, uh-huh. uh, and they they quote even from some teachers who That's also good. seem to have concerns. Uh, so that I think is is a good. Thing. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to academic uh, performance and, and remedying the declines there, there, there are some plans to develop, say, an accelerated middle school class that would compact science standards into a two-year sequence, something similar for algebra for eighth grade, in other words, addressing um, the, the, the problem that some uh, advanced kids are are having mm-hmm. in heterogeneous classrooms, mm-hmm. and they are. They've done a number of things that suggest that they are trying to enhance uh, third grade reading instruction. Uh, so all of those things are good. They're mm-hmm. they're not enough, but mm-hmm. they're but they're good mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of interesting. Another um, thing that the that the parents are trying to address is the Edina High School's pre AP English Ten course, mm-hmm. which was one of the problems that we discussed probably over a year ago when we first started talking about the issues that were happening in the Edina High School. And yes. um, I believe that the teacher who originally taught that course is no longer here. Um, but the parents were up in arms about that class for good reason. Um, they found that rather than it really being a preparatory class for the AP course, though it's supposed to be, and by the way, I think every um, Edina freshman or, or sophomore is required to take this yep, class. Correct. They right. found that it, according to your article, they found that there was little complex writing there was little grammar or emphasis on vocabulary, and it deals largely with contemporary political themes rather than English. Correct. And they found that the Lexile, which is, you know, the reading level of the books, were at a fifth grade level. This is for a 10th grade pre-AP oh. English course. Correct. Um, Correct. And what I found stunning is that when the parents came up in arms and they wanted to have a uh, discussion about this, the discussion was led in such an odd really bizarre fashion. <laughs> Maybe you could talk about that very, very quickly because we don't have it, that it much time shocking. left. It is shocking. Yeah, there's yeah. This, this study group that was supposed to research this with parents and students and teachers. Teachers never showed up, by the way. Yeah. But it was like a, a 1960s sort of encounter group. And the parents were told they needed to sit in a circle and their comments should go to the left because that's the flow of the heart. And they wanted to, they should, they could place flowers or a candle or something in the middle to represent the intention of their circle. And they wanted to talk, they could pick up a rock because they were grounded. <laughs> and if they wanted, you know, stuff, just crazy stuff like that. Little bells, you know, could be wrong if they wanted silence. Uh, this yeah. is insulting. Yeah. You know, there was no data. There was nothing about standards. And they were um, even told not to come with materials. Yeah, to the meetings. They, did, they didn't want their material. Yeah, they didn't want the data. <laughs> keep the data out of here. We want to right. keep our class the way it is. Yeah, and it yeah. sounds like it resulted in some pretty minimal changes that obviously were dictated um, probably by the school district rather than by the parents since they didn't yeah, really the get to say their, their point. They did their own kind of, of study. Yeah. But yeah, they, they certainly did not include uh, the, the, the citizens and the parents' yeah. um, concerns as part of this. Unbelievable. 
Well, I'll tell you what, I'm sure these parents are hopefully continuing to press forward and hopefully uh, they will continue to uh, get the attention of the district and maybe over the course of time the district will start having more um, ability to listen to their concerns and, and have meaningful conversation, exactly. Well, Catherine, your expertise on this subject, once again, is amazing, and we're very glad to have been able to have you on our show these last couple of weeks. We ask our listeners to continue to research this on their own. And uh, if you want to listen to this podcast or any other podcast, you can go to ednationmn.org. That's ednationmn.org. Thanks for joining us, and thank you, Mark, for all of your efforts and Always good to see you. co-hosting on our show. Great to be with you. Thank you, you too, Catherine. Catherine. Have a good night. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.